Hey, kind of a spooky broadcast today. I mean, we we yeah, we start with uh, the bones of Epstein. Um, I don't know if you know Jeffrey Epstein's neck was uh, broken in several places. Kind of difficult to do with paper sheets. Um, however, that's not the disturbing part. The disturbing part is a story that we found in New York Magazine, an interview with one of Epstein's bodyguards. We get into that. We also talk to you about a deep fake that is really disturbing because it is so good and uh, and stealthy. The question is, who can you trust? Also, Charlie Kirk will be there. I, I, I do give some porn. I mean, it's just clickbait. The yield curve, I tried to explain today. And I lost my wig. I lost my wig <laughs> when it came to the Statue of Liberty yet again today. Yes. Because it continues to go on. That's a worthwhile segment, especially if yeah. you hear the way the media is treating Cuccinelli on that one. Uh, also, tonight on TV, a pretty interesting show. A guy who is a real left-wing guy. Uh Total, like, how you would describe, like, a social justice warrior, had a podcast, a comedian, and was constantly railing on conservatives and saying how awful they were and they me? should be fired. I think, didn't he say yeah, that he, he say called he... for me to be fired several times? <laughs> I think he said he put, uh, the fact that you called him a name at one point, which we didn't even remember, uh, he put it on his resume. Uh, that's how much he hated you yeah. at the time. So um, he went through a bunch of stuff, including uh, a couple of false Me Too type allegations and has now kind of gone through this uh, firestorm and realized, wow, what I was doing before was incredibly wrong. Uh, he's still left-wing, still does not agree with us on policy, but he's gone to the point where he's like, this culture of, this cancel culture, if you will, is is completely misguided. And, and very and dangerous. Really in- really interesting guy, uh, Jamie Kilton. He's going to be on the, uh, on the show on TV tonight. Uh, so watch that. Uh, if you're not a subscriber, please go to blazetv.com. Use the promo code Glenn. Save yourself 10 bucks. Plus, you'll get, uh, I mean, how much? There's uh, the Elizabeth Warren is Woodrow Wilson monologue from this week was great. Um, uh, you had um, oh, we the have telling of, of the Patrick Byrne thing. That, that is the story. That's the story of Epstein and the corrupt FBI. It ties into that, ties into the Russia scandal, the Hillary Clinton. What's really happening? Who can you trust? That's an amazing, amazing show. Yeah, if you're missing the TV program, you're missing a lot. It's blazetv.com. Promo code is Glenn. Here's the podcast. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck program. Remember I told you that, uh, uh, Jeffrey Epstein's autopsy had been done over the weekend and they, they were not conclusive. Well, now we're getting a little bit, um, a little bit more information on this. An autopsy found that Jeffrey Epstein's sustained multiple breaks in his neck bones are deepening the mystery. Now here's what here's what this means. The one of the bones that was broken in his uh neck is near his Adam's apple. And it can happen that that bone breaks when you hang yourself. Um especially if you're an older person. However, it's much more common uh among victims of a homicide by strangulation. And you know, to really snap your neck, it's 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 why uh, hangings were uh, deemed cruel and unusual 
uh, back in the 1800s when people were hung, if you didn't, if you if you lynched somebody, they are struggling for a long time. They're not their neck isn't snapping. You know, you pull the horse away or you kick the table. They don't have a long way to fall. And so the 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 snapping of the neck happens when you have the gallows and they have to fall a, di- a, a certain uh, distance. It's why the executioner's job, you had to look at the person's weight and you had to look at the person's height and you had to get the 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 um, the noose, if you will, to the right level so their neck would snap and it would uh, end their life quickly. You're not doing that at the edge of the bed. So it adds more mystery. Now, it very well could be that he had an old frail bone in his neck. There's multiple cracks in his neck, which seems unusual, but it doesn't mean anything. We also know now that uh, the two guards were sleeping and they falsified their uh, their records. They said they checked on him every 30 minutes. Now they've admitted that wasn't true. They were both sleeping on the job. So most conspiracies can be explained away by incompetence. But what I want to share with you is an article that I read today from New York Magazine. And it's an interview done by a writer there uh, who interviewed his uh, Epstein's bodyguard about five years ago. And he has it all on tape. And so now that Epstein is dead, he wanted to go back, and it was an unpublished uh, interview, but it was all on the record, so he can talk about it. So now he's gone back, and he's re-interviewed him, but things seem to have changed. And I, I just want to uh, I want to go through uh, um, a few parts of this, uh, and it's just, it's, it's, not, it, it's just a transcription of the interview. So uh, the interviewer is asking her, asking uh, the security guard, the only guy that he had as a bodyguard. He's a Russian, former MMA fighter, and and seems very Russian, as you'll see. Um, he's asked, "So you drove him to all three places?" Uh, yeah, he's in New York. I didn't drive New York. We he had driver, whatever name was. He was like old family. I was just training with him in New York, traveling with him. I just drove him there, Palm Beach, because other places he had different drivers. They're just the personnel, you know, who just drive him. Someone drive him in New Mexico, I'm quoting directly. Someone drive him in Virgin Islands. Actually, I just drove him here in Palm Beach. You went uh, with him to all the other properties. Did you go with him to New Mexico? Yes. Uh, you worked and traveled with him 24-7, so that means you were on the plane with him, correct? Yes. You lived in his guest house? Yes. You lived the, uh, li- lived alone in the guest house? Of course, in Palm Beach, when we stay at Palm Beach, we have guest house. Property manager lived there, too. Uh, he was working there before me. Polish guy, yes. Uh, does he have, Did he have bodyguard abilities like you? No. Uh, so now let me just skip down. So it, he's working with him all the time. He's working out with him. He's training. It's clear he doesn't like Jeffrey Hepstein. He talks about how uh, he's made fun of um, um, and and not listened to and just treated like dirt by Epstein. What were some of the places you drove him to? 
Uh, I mean, when I work for him in Palm Beach, just business meeting, basically, mostly downtown near lawyer's office. Drop him there. When he goes upstairs, I wait in car. Ever heard about his case, why he was in trouble? No, never talk about that stuff. He never talked about any of that stuff? No, really? No. In our conversation in 2015, you described his relationship with teenage girlfriends, and I'm quoting, so many time, uh, so many time I tried to stop him. I tried to tell him my opinion about that. He don't listen to me. That's the reason why I'm not working for him no more. I make him do that. Let me go. Do you remember saying that? It's not teenage girls. I never see any teenage girls. Uh, I tell you, I never see teenage girls. Plenty of times when I work for him, I never see anything improper or teenage girls around him. That's what I say. So wait, so wait, now you're saying that you only saw him with women older than 18 or 20? All I say is he had been with girlfriends and there was a couple of girls. I don't remember names. She was 25, worked for him, an assistant, maybe 25, 23, whatever. I don't know age. Okay, but you definitely told me last time we talked. No, 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 it's not that. He working like work release on other stuff. And I just tell him, you know, he uh, would order his girlfriends around. And I told him, calm down. It's, it's not teenage girls. I never see teenage girls in my life at his house. Uh, that is what it is. Uh, misunderstanding completely. Because th- that's what I'm saying. Most of the time with reporters, they give me that kind of question. Uh, who told you I see teenage girls? I never see teenage girls in my life. And, and they say, I, okay, so he, wait a minute. Here's another thing you said last time about Epstein and the girls you saw at his house, specifically about moments when you were trying to offer him advice about his conduct. Quote, sometimes he tries to make a joke. He'd say, thank you, Grandma. I don't need your opinion. So when you tried to do something good, he would try to make a joke in front of girls. Um, I never give anyone questions. I'm still quoting. Uh, It's one of my rules, actually. I be honest with you. I never ask any of my clients what they do for a living or how they do whatever they do. I just do my job and that's it. Do you remember saying that? Yes, that's what I said. I I feel like the cops watching me whenever he's on work release. I tell him, don't do stupid stuff. Don't put girlfriend in car and drive together. Don't watch it. All uh, extra attention. But Epstein made fun of you in front of the girls, right? Yes, that was his thing. You say you never ask your employers questions. Yes, that's normal answer. People like him just do what he wants to do. Because uh, like people talking and just, they already have some release, and I understand. And uh, just read some papers about his, like, whatever, teenage girls. Uh, But uh, that was how he answers, so that's it. So I don't know. (laughs) Uh, Here's another quote from our last interview. Quote, he had a couple of girlfriends. They have no idea of the degree of what they were doing. But you can't tell nothing to them because they support him, kind of. For the while, this one girl would be more attached to him. He just fire her, fire them and keep them away. For example, I give you some idea. You have a private plane and you have three girlfriends and one girl can be more attached to him. The next week, he don't take that girl. He takes another and he just switch them. He brings them on a couple of trips, then get different girls. That's what he's doing. Do you remember that? Kind of not. I don't remember. 
Igor, wait a minute, wait a minute. I understand this is sensitive. No. Now, this is really important. This is starting to change. No, no, no. It's not just sensitive. It's uh, kind of little uncorrect. It's exactly what you said. I can send it to you. Here's something else you said. It can be tricky, you know. Normally, he always has a check. He has me check the newspapers. Nothing about me. I say no. He say they forget about me. And then when I mentioned Epstein was being exposed for messing with teenage girls, you said, I'm not surprised at all. I'm surprised how low he can be outside in the real world. Someday... Uh, someday is going to call him, and it will be real jail. He has so much money, he can pay it off. Me personally, if I caught him with my daughter or something like that, I'm not going to call the police. I do something else, much worse. That guy could try to sue me and manipulate the situation with his money. That's the American way. I know he screwed a lot of uh, fashion girls also, screwed up a lot of fashion girls also. That's a different story. Do you remember saying that? I remember one thing, like if I be father and someone screw up my daughter, I, I uh, don't care how much money he have. I definitely do some bad thing. That's what I said. Before that stuff, I don't know. I'm really like, Igor, I'm not making this stuff up. I was really careful. I'm, listen to this, quote, I'm really careful too. It was four years ago. Maybe you don't remember uh, what you told me. Or you're afraid. Do you have anything to be afraid of? I'm not afraid. Beyond, uh, beyond that, he is just dead. I don't want anything incorrect. Hold on. When did you find out he died? Then he goes on to talk about how he died and, and yada, yada, yada. And it's just yes or no questions. He's starting to get very cold. I realize others tried to talk to you. Did he ever offer you money? Did anyone ever try to silence you? No. Epstein never tried to give, give you money. I wonder what he was capable of doing since he settled a lot of lawsuits. Nobody ever wanted to offer me money. I don't care about money. I don't. Uh, I, I. I want everyone just to leave me alone. Just one thing: when someone from newspaper write and from everywhere call you me Red Army Commando, what do you mean exactly? If it's untrue, uh, if if it's untrue, that would be over the top. The, yes, terrible. So after that, they called me mobster. Mobster? Yes. Okay, I didn't know that. I'm standing with girls. The girls just looking at me, and the girls get scared. Uh, so I don't uh, know if you want me to say uh, something, and I don't want to. I want to deal with no one. I get that. But you and I have a history. Listen to what I say. This between you and me. Wait, you told me he would get phone calls uh, the night before at 8 o'clock and the police were going to come. He would get a heads up from the local police. Silence. You told me that, Igor. You want me to uh, uh, read the quote? Well, you can read whatever you want right now. Uh, don't just... Look, you put yourself in big trouble. He sa You said he always do something wrong... There were nights in question. He would come home, uh, arrest and police before they come to the house. They would call him and tell them they were coming at 8 o'clock in the morning. It's all corruption, you know. That's the way your system is. That's your quote. Listen, do not put yourself in trouble. Seriously, we talked about this. I understand we got this. 
I'm telling you, you have to, uh, uh, I'm telling you to give you a chance to remember because we talked about it. I know it's hard. I don't know what you mean about put myself in trouble. Let it go. Seriously, let it go. Why is, why is it so important? Are you worried about the local cops? Listen, you're really smart. I'm not going to uh, offer that over the phone right now, okay? You're really smart. You have no idea. Please. What do you mean by that? I can't explain to you. I can't explain over the phone any of this. You said that last time, and we didn't talk for years. You can tell the world who this guy was. You were working with him for a long time. You know what I mean? Silence. I totally understand what you think um, he he could have uh, I totally understand that you think he could have had help committing suicide. First of all, I've got to go right now. I've got other client. You're still training people? Yes, just be careful. I'm not kidding. What's your email? Uh, don't do any of that kind of stuff. Just don't play it seriously. You can't tell me why? No, I can't. One more question. What? Uh, have you been talking to anyone in the government, the FBI? Have they come to you? Look great talking to you. Seriously, we talk later. Be careful. All right? Bye. So I read this this morning, and my first thought was my friend uh, Patrick Byrne. Patrick Byrne is the CEO of Overstock.com, and he's a libertarian. He doesn't have a horse in this fight except for America. He's not a partisan guy. He, he, he dislikes both sides equally, I think. Um, and he's a very smart businessman. Well, he was kind of uh, ambushed. He was uh, You could see that he was surprised by the question, and then he just answered it uh, when he was on Fox News uh, just a couple of days ago. He was on for another reason to talk about cryptocurrency, but then he started talking about uh, what he knows about the Russia investigation and also the uh, investigation into the Clintons with the FBI. And he said, I can't tell you why, but I know what happened. Well, we've pieced together some, uh, at least part of it. We know how he was involved with the Trump-Russia investigation. He was in the center of that, kind of in this Hitchcockian sort of way, where it's like this everyday man kind of finding himself in the middle of this giant conspiracy. And my first thought after reading this with uh, Epstein's uh, bodyguard was, be very careful, you do not know what you're dealing with. Is this the kind of country that we are becoming? And are we okay with it? The best of the Glenn Beck Program. Hey, it's Glenn. And if you like what you hear on the program, you should check out Pat Gray Unleashed. His podcast is available wherever you download your favorite podcast. Charlie Kirk is uh, joining us now. He is the founder and president of Turning Point USA, also the host of the Charlie Kirk Show. Uh, welcome to the uh, welcome to the program, Charlie. Um, Great to be here. Thanks so much, Glenn. You bet. I, I wanted to have you on. I wanted to talk about because you've been going. Um, and talking to so many people, you've been to the Iowa State Fair, you have been on the campuses uh, for a couple of things. First, I want to talk to you about the El Paso narrative. Uh, how 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 close are we? You know, Donald Trump said last week that um, he thought 
that he could sway even his base to go for some things that he claimed were common sense um, uh, gun control laws like red flag laws, et cetera, et cetera. And the poll numbers look like that might be a possibility that 40 percent of Republicans are even saying, yeah, we need stricter laws. Is this what what is what happened here? How close are we, do you think, to making some fundamental changes on the Second Amendment? Too, too close. And thankfully, we still live in a country where if the majority wants to take our rights away, they shouldn't be able to and they can't. That's the whole point of understanding and protecting natural rights. I mean, thank goodness that we don't have voting by the mob that can that can take away our First Amendment. It's beginning to get that way. But this is a really important point, Glenn, that what makes the Scottish Enlightenment ideas so critical that were enshrined in our Constitution is that it's sort of irrelevant if 55 or 60 percent of the country want to just by by vote or decree, take rights that we have upon our, our birth um, away from us. And it's really important that when we talk about increasing government regulation, it might sound good or feel good, but especially from the federal government, we have to act as if or say as if, what if the government bureaucrat that we distrust most had that kind of governmental power? So for conservatives, lest us not forget Lois Lerner. Remember Lois Lerner, who investigated the Tea Party and basically got off scot-free for, you know, um, blowing up a lot of grassroots energy and enthusiasm in our base. Imagine if she had the kind of control to register guns and to come after our Second Amendment rights. All of a sudden, I guarantee you that the supposed support amongst Republicans for increased gun control can diminish and, and would diminish and would decrease. So that's that's the way I think we have to frame this argument is is you're going to be giving more power to government bureaucrats that hate you. They hate your worldview. They want to make sure and make certain that people that believe in libertine ideas or the or a conservative worldview or Judeo-Christian ethic will have a decreased amount of say and authority. And that should be said of the First Amendment as well as well as the Second Amendment. Why why um, is this I, why is this happening um with the left? Are they just playing a longer game and they just know that these things always work out in their favor? Or, uh, I mean, I don't understand the disconnect. Donald Trump is a dictator. He's a Nazi. He is building concentration camps. Quick, let's give our guns to his government. Which, it's, it's again, that, that is the best argument to kind of cross-examine the left's um, lack of logic on this. Because, wait a second— I thought they don't trust this government because Donald Trump is in charge. I thought he's the one that is building alleged concentration camps, which is just not true on the southern border. Now, the left wants that very same government to take guns away. That doesn't make a lot of sense. But but look, from a, a broader perspective here, a bigger picture is the left is embarking and they're in they're well on their way for the deconstruction of our country. And that's the philosophy here. It's deconstructionism. And you've educated your audience brilliantly on this, and I wish more people did exactly what you've done, which you go through the historical roots of this from the Frankfurt School on, which is it's a deliberate attempt to deconstruct our country from within. Mm-hmm. And, and the left understands that there are, there, there's the natural rights that we have that are you know, protected in the, in the Bill of Rights, but there are three that are really, really important. 
right to expression and right to dialogue, the Second Amendment and the Fourth Amendment. Those and the Tenth Amendment as well, I'd say. States' rights and not anything that's not listed should be decentralized in nature. The left has a full frontal assault on those four things in particular, trying to attack our religious expression, trying to take their, our guns away, trying to erode our personal, our, our personal privacy and property, and finally to destroy states' rights as we know it. And the left plays a much more patient game than we play. They are much more deliberate, and they're okay looking at things in a 50 to 100-year type type perspective. Well, and, and we as conservatives tend not to do that. So, Charlie, let me, let me bring this up to you uh, because you know history well enough um, to be able to see this giant arc. But I just did an episode a uh, couple of days ago on the comparison of of the wannabe presidency of Elizabeth Warren to Woodrow Wilson and mm. went through uh, Philip Drew Administrator, which was written by Colonel House during the Wilson administration to really kind of say in novel form what the progressives really wanted. And yes. It's Elizabeth Warren. I mean, they are willing to do a long, long look. They're more Chinese than American in, in their thinking. It. Totally. And I'll give you another kind of really interesting parallel. Where did Woodrow Wilson come from? Princeton University. Yes. I and mean, he, was, he, he was the president of Princeton University and then governor of New Jersey. Where does Elizabeth Warren come from? Harvard. Harvard. I mean, when you're born out of the academy and you're born – you're kind of a, a, a prototype, if you will, of higher education. You will bring that radicalism with you. And Woodrow Wilson was probably one of the most damaging presidents besides FDR and LBJ in the last hundred years of our personal freedoms and liberties that few people talk about. But you actually educated me on this topic through your books and your show seven or eight years ago um, when I first started to become aware of the threat of progressivism. And the year of 1917, boy, if you look at um, one year that you know, eroded our freedoms and liberties almost more than any other, whether it be the creation of the federal income tax or the creation of the Federal Reserve Act. Um, I mean, th this, this singular individual pioneered more erosion of states' rights and individual sovereignty than anyone else. Uh, I'm sorry, 1913 it was, if my memory serves me yeah. correct, um, yeah. was the Revenue Act. Not, 17 was World War I. I stand corrected. Yeah. 1913. Um, but that is a great parallel, Glenn. And what does I, – if I were to venture a guess, I think – the party, the Democrat Party, is much more likely to nominate Elizabeth Warren than Joe Biden. Elizabeth Warren can kind of be the intersectional candidate that they're looking for in the sense that she is she's angry, yet she is thoughtful enough that she'll be able to appease the Democrat suburban voters and the new new kind of Democrat suburban mm -hmm. women voters. Um, she's academic enough to appease the New York Times oligarchs and she also has enough populism in her to be able to kind of channel that Bernie Sanders energy. She's drawing bigger crowds. She's raising a tremendous amount of money. And so, wow, is that a great comparison to you? And it's so funny you mentioned the Chinese, Glenn. Recently, I said to someone, I said, the left thinks like the Chinese do. Yep. They think in terms of centuries. Yep, they do. And th th they're okay with multi-decade plans to, in the words of our previous president, fundamentally transform our country. And you look at it, we as conservatives have such a difficult task because we look as if we're anti-progress. But guess what? That's okay sometimes. Some things should not change. In fact, I would make the argument the more we've changed the family 
the nuclear family in our country, the more negative side effects, the more broken communities that yes. we've actually experienced. And you, that that's a, that's an argument we have to. You you have to you have to change, but you have to. Uh, uh, change the things that don't work while leaving the things that do work that that's yeah. i mean that's the the point of being a conservative is to conserve the things that work and are true we've just come to this place to where we're like nothing works well no 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 wait 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 some things work really well and some things aren't working so well because we've made changes in the past or we failed to make changes in the past. So let's sort these through and conserve the good things. So, Charlie, so is Elizabeth Warren, because I am shocked, shocked. This latest poll um, shows uh, me smoking one pum uh, one point away from uh, Joe Biden. Uh, and I think you're right. I think they are more likely to go with Elizabeth Warren than than Joe Biden in the end, because she wants to fundamentally transform. I think she is a another Hillary Clinton that Donald Trump will crush. Do you think so? Or do you think she's there's something to her that should concern us? I want to believe that. I'm going to I'm going to come up with a piece soon and I'm going to talk about this on my my podcast. Glenn, you might find this interesting. And I I try to be a contrarian by nature, but I will tell you that just as we learned that there were hidden Trump voters, I believe that there are hidden socialist voters out there, too, that have either either been voting Green Party or have not been showing up in the same numbers. Now, Are there enough of them to make Elizabeth Warren president? I don't think so. But I, I will kind of throw a little skepticism at some of the conventional wisdom that Trump will win the landslide against Elizabeth Warren. And let me tell you why is I deal mostly on college campuses at Turning Point USA. And Elizabeth Warren is precisely what college students want in a candidate. She talks about fundamental transformation. She's unafraid to question the history of the United States and call our history a mistake. Not that we've made a mistake, but that our country is a mistake. She's she's unabashed in her promising of free stuff and to have other people pay for her utopian schemes. And I think that younger voters will show up in numbers that we have not seen since 2008 if Elizabeth Warren is the candidate. Now, I think she would lose Mm. unbelievably voters over the age of 50, you know, people that have actually been around for a couple decades and had sobriety of life, you know, kind of, you know, that they've lived through. But never underestimate the kind of. Um, unpredictability a candidate can cause when younger voters start to show up. And and we saw this in 2008 and again in 2012 because it throws off all the voting models, Glenn. If if college students voted at the same clip or the same rate as suburban women, um, Hillary Clinton would be president. And and Warren is one of the few candidates that can do that. Now, I think she would actually have a a ton of trouble with black voters, and Latino voters. I think the president could do far better in those particular communities than Republicans traditionally have. Uh, but I, I think that your comparison that Elizabeth Warren is our Woodrow Wilson is spot on. And it's yeah. something that needs to be repeated because she's now going to try to create the new century progressive compact to try to finish the vision of Rousseau and Marx in our country to create us to a very mediocre alleged egalitarian state, which will never happen. It will just put us in a downward spiral 
spiral that the progressives have been trying to embark us on over the last hundred years. And we must stop this at every single corner and turn um, in our activism. And that's what I'm trying to do on college campuses every single day. Charlie, thank you so much. I appreciate it from Turning Point USA, a group that might give you some hope that uh, uh, the millennials are not all crazy. And uh, there are many millennials that are out working hard and uh, are changing their mind when they do hear facts. Charlie Kirk, thank you so much. from. Thank T- you, Glenn. I appreciate it. You bet. TPUSA.com. Turning Point USA. TPUSA.com. This is the best of the Glenn Beck Program. Hey, it's Glenn, and you're listening to the Glenn Beck Program. If you like what you're hearing on this show, make sure you check out Pat Gray Unleashed. It's available wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Uh, quickly, Glenn, I've noticed uh, you, you I don't know, inspired apparently a uh, major controversy because I listened to this program and uh, heard your monologue on Monday about the Statue of Liberty and the Emma Lazarus poem. Yeah, In I think fact, it was actually Tuesday was when it Tuesday? The, the green card thing came out right. uh, on Monday, and everybody was like, what about the t- tired and poor and huddled masses? Right, so you did this uh, entire monologue yeah. about what the poem actually means, and you've done this before, yeah. as Conservative Review points out today. You did it in your 2010 CPAC keynote speech. Yes. Uh, so you've done this. You've been talking about this for a long time. The information's out there, but you did it again this weekend and tied it specifically to the story. Well, I don't know if Ken Cuccinelli listens to the program. He may. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he came out and talked about this as well. Uh, here he is, uh, and this is the controversial part. So, so get scared here because you're about to hear some very nasty words about people that aren't European. Here's Ken Cuccinelli on the Statue of Liberty. What do you think America stands for? Well, of course, that poem was referring back to people coming from Europe where they had class-based societies, where people were considered wretched if they weren't in the right class. Hmm. That's exactly right. Hmm. No, it's not, actually. Madeleine Albright uh, sets uh, Ken straight. I'm not sure that one can say that it's part of American heritage. There have been various periods where Americans have been very generous in our immigration policy. And I do think that this country has benefited by the diversity that has come through immigration. And so I find it one of the most un-American statements I've ever heard. And you pointed out that I have a Statue of Liberty pin on. I think the Statue of Liberty is weeping. It's weeping, Glenn. Really, I don't know if you know this. It's a bronze statue. (laughs) It can't weep. So let's talk about some facts. I think the Statue of Liberty is weeping. Yeah. If it is, it's because it's being distorted. You can make the Statue of Liberty into whatever you want it to be, but that doesn't change the facts of why it was built and what the damn poem means. First of all, Madeline, why was that poem even written? Do you know? Anybody know why? To show that we need no, immig- no, free immigration no, and, no, and everyone no, gets on a f- no, welfare program. No, and- no. It was to buy the. It was to raise money, buy this poem, and we'll be able to build a stone platform that we can put this stupid French piece of crap on because they just dumped it in our park. 
we need to buy a bunch of stuff now because all parts were not included. So we need to buy stuff. And Emma's like, I'll write a poem. Maybe you can sell that. Okay, it's got to be a really good poem because we got to buy a lot of rocks. That's why the poem was written. So I'm sorry to break it to you, all you anti-capitalists, but that was why that poem was written. The second thing is she was putting the Statue of Liberty into context. What is this brazen giant? Why did France send us this? If it doesn't have anything to do with Europe, explain Keep your storied pomp and ancient lands, cries she with silent lips. Explain that. Which ancient lands? Not like the brazen giant of Greek fame. Uh, that's in Europe, I think. I'm pretty sure. Isn't that in Europe? <laughs> I think, yeah, in I Europe. believe I think so. That's in yes. Europe. Wow. Technically speaking, yes, I believe so. So... It's not like the the brazen giant of Greek fame, the the Statue of Rhodes. Uh, uh, it, it's not like that one, the eighth wonder, one of the eighth wonders of the world. Uh, it's it's then crying out. This one is crying out. Keep your ancient lands in storied pomp. Yeah, where were immigrants huh. generally coming from at this time? And historically. Where were the immigrants coming from that built this country? Two lands, Africa. Yes, the Statue of Liberty does address Africans that came here as slaves. That's why there's a chain broken on her foot and her ankle. A broken chain. The Statue of Liberty, the law that she holds, breaks the chains of slavery when properly administered. That's what the chain is. So the second group of people that came in, generally speaking, where did they come from? Oh, Europe. (laughs) That's what that poem is about. That's what the statue is about. And the worst distortion of it is, oh, give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses. Oh, this makes me so angry. That's what they wanted. They wanted to, you know what? We'll take care of the people you won't take care of. Come to us, and our government will supply the things that these people need. First of all, the Statue of Liberty was built for what? Oh, because they wanted to give us a great gift. Who gives people a gift like that? (laughs) Well, at least we know they don't have another one like it. (laughs) Who gives a gift like that? And if you're going to give a gift... Why ship it over and like, hey, and by the way, uh, all the uh, pots are in the box. You're going to have to put it together, but uh, we made it super easy for you. All the instructions are in French. That's no help. Better than Ikea, but no help. Yes, but no help, Mm -hmm. okay? It wasn't really for us. That statue was made, and they raised money, just like the Emma Lazarus poem. Why is the poem, why was the poem written? Oh, because it wanted to describe him. No, it was to raise money. Why was the Statue of Liberty built? Because there was this guy who had this idea of making a giant, a brazen giant like that of Greek fame that he could sell to Egypt that would stand, uh, 
right where the Panama Canal is. I don't remember exactly, but I think it was in that area. That's what he wanted to do. And Egypt's like, beat it, dirtbag. We don't need your giant statue. I mean, have you seen how we're living? We don't even have toilets yet. So he leaves. But he wants to build this giant statue. So then he meets with some people in France. Hey, I know you got the Eiffel Tower. What do you think about maybe, uh, what do you think? Huh? Maybe? You think? Maybe? Huh? And they're like, no, wait, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. And what's going on at the time? Marxism. Marxism. In 1848, in Germany, wow, German, that's German? Oh, well, I love the ideas from Germany. They're all so good, aren't they? Especially when they come up with new ways to bring government, to make it big and powerful. Those are great ideas. In 1840, Marx and Engels, 1848, they print what's called the Communist Manifesto. The Communist Manifesto was an idea to change all of Europe. Because all of the Europe... They had storied pomp and ancient lands, and they were holding people down. Because if you didn't have the right name, the right connection, if you weren't a lord or a lady, if you weren't a landowner, you had no rights. You had nothing. And so the communists said, that's not right. Now, there was another group of people that said that's not right. They were called the American founders. And so the people who made the Statue of Liberty, and coincidentally, the guy who painted the crossing of the Delaware with George Washington in the boat, you know, the one that we're also famous, you know, the original is not in the Met. That's a copy. The original doesn't exist anymore. It was burned down during World War II. It burned because it was bombed by the Allies, by the... Bombed by the Allies. I didn't know that the Met was bombed by the Allies. No, it was in Germany. Because it was painted for Germans. Because the painter saw Marx and Engels and went, that's the wrong idea. I'm going to paint a painting that explains what America does. Because, yes, everybody needs to be in the boat, but America has the right idea. That's why there is a farmer. There is a, there is a, 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 a woodsman in it. Uh, there is a black guy, a Native American. There's a woman in that boat. A woman? What? No, America hates women. No, everyone was in the boat. That's why that painting was painted. The Statue of Liberty was made for the same reason. They needed to raise money. They used the raising of money as a way to get into people's homes and their hearts and say, have you seen what the Americans have done? Have you seen what they've done? Because we weren't trying to dominate the world. We were just quiet. We just went around and just be like, hey, we're cool with everybody. We actually didn't have this empire kind of attitude at the time that the progressives brought us. And so what did we do? They needed to get in and tell people the American story. So they said, hey, they just freed all those slaves. Wasn't that cool? And they're coming up with their 100th anniversary. We want to give them the statue. Oh, they're going to love it. Yeah, they're going to love it. They got a place. statue people. Yeah, yeah the huge statue people. Huge statue people. Their president's going to be a guy who's going to be like, it's the greatest statue ever. It's coming. It's, <laughs> we're way ahead of the curve. 
They were doing it to sell the American idea as opposed to Marxism. That's why it was built. The poem was made to be able to sell the uh, to 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 sell to make enough money to buy the platform stones. Mm-hmm. And and you know, look, there's a lot of people on Twitter who don't know that, right? But the journalists who are all making it seem like, well, what Ken Cuccinelli meant was he o- it only applies to white people from Europe because that is the way they're characterizing it. They it's egregious. They know it's it's a disgraceful mischaracterization of what he's saying. You know exactly what he was saying, and what he was saying specifically was. Yeah, we want to take the people that your class system, and he mentions the class system. Yes. Your class system will not allow to achieve anything, even if they're fantastic. They can be the greatest people and the people who are the highest achievers in your society, but because of your class system, they can never escape where they were born into. Here, there isn't that system, So when they and we're freeing them of that system. Not every person who needs help from the government is going to come and get it. That's not what it's about. Keep your storied pomp and your ancient lands, cries she. She is talking to Europe. Mm -hmm. And then she says, send me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to be free. Send these, the tempest tossed, to me. So in other words, what it's saying is, you keep people down. You're keeping yeah. people homeless. You have all of these rules and regulations and all your storied crap that we don't have, we don't want. You send us the people that you say can't make it because I'm standing right here and I'm guarding this door. You notice the Statue of Liberty, her butt is showing to us. Her face, her eyes are looking to Europe, (laughs) guarding from the garbage of Europe, Mm -hmm. saying, you sent these people and said they can't do anything. Well, you know what? One of those people came over here. And that's why I'm holding imprisoned lightning, imprisoned lightning, light. It's not Edison. It's Tesla. One of the wretched refuse that came to our shore, built the alternator, the generators that we have in the dam that powers the imprisoned lightning, as it's mentioned in the poem. So please don't get me started on this. If somebody in the media would like to know, oh, I'd love to give them a history lesson on what that poem means, but it is the exact opposite of what they say it is. And by the way, the law at the time it was written, immigration law of the United States said, if when boats are coming over here, ships, immigration ships, if on such examination there shall be found among such passengers any convict, lunatic, idiot or any person unable to take care of himself or herself without becoming a public charge such persons should not be should not be permitted to land okay they weren't even able to step foot on land and you know who had to pay for their return trip the ship Mm. that brought them here Mm -hmm. we ain't paying for it good luck with that passenger you shouldn't have put him on the boat in the first place the blaze radio network On demand.